Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masechet Ravin, daf nun bet. Um, I think after tomorrow, we are technically halfway there through this Masechet. So our daf today finishes up a parak, and there's basically three Mishnahs here, which I think we're going to read um, all of them and just discuss a couple of highlights about each Mishnah. So I'll start with the first one. So if person set out to go to the town for which he's establishing an Arab, right? So in other words, he wants to go there. He wants to be able to go to a different town for Shabbat or go beyond his 2000 Amot. And he needs to leave his Arab to whom him there, or I guess even just walk there in order to declare the residence. And what happened? He basically runs into somebody or something happened and he ends up not being able to get to the town and he has to go back. He is allowed to go. But anybody in the town that he was living in, right, they are asur to go to that second town, Divrei Rabbi Yehuda, right? So the idea basically, or the position of Rabbi Yehuda is, is that by the fact that he just set out to go establish his sort of Shabbos residence in town B, right, and he sets out from, let's say, town A, even though he didn't fulfill his mission, right, by actually getting the Arab there, by actually going to the place. But the fact that he just set out, you know, is, is enough for him to say that it's actually his residence for Shabbat and he can actually go there on Shabbat. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, let's say he was doing this on behalf of a group of people, the other people of that town, of town A, they would not be allowed to because the Arab was not actually established there. Rabbi Meir Omer, and so Rabbi Meir has, and again, this is an expression that we've seen throughout Masechet Eruvin, that if he could have actually established that actual Eruv, right? So in other words, he's going to say he's really a resident of town B and not a resident of town A, but he didn't actually establish the Eruv, right? He is like a Hamar Gamal, right? He's a donkey driver and he's a camel driver. The idea being that, right, the donkey driver is somebody who walks behind the animal and, you know, sort of prods it to get it to walk. The camel driver is somebody who actually leads the animals. So the idea is that the person is basically pulled in two separate directions. So what Rabbi Mayer is basically saying is, because it's not clear where he actually established his, his residence, and therefore it's not clear where his tohum actually is, right? He actually is not allowed to move around the way that he would like to. Um, and it's basically just that his residence is like the residence of town A, and it's not, you know, that it is in town B, um, and he can't really move beyond 2,000 a mode from either town. What's interesting to me about this mission is, is that I think one of the things we've seen throughout this parak is almost in a way a degradation of how Erev Tehumim gets established, right? Like first it was established that it was like you need food. Then it became, no, you could do it just with your regal, right? Just by walking there, right? And the idea was, well, why did we say that it was pot? Because maybe the rich person or somebody doesn't want to actually have to walk out there. So we just let somebody bring food. It doesn't have to be the individual himself. It could be his shaliach. And now Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, and this is something the Gemara explores a little bit, takes it almost a step further and says, just as long as you had intention, right? As long as your intention was to make it to that other place, even if you're machzir, even if you had to actually go back and you never fulfilled that mission, Right we would still say that you establish residence. So it's interesting to me to see that it's sort of like we keep chipping away at what it means uh, to, to, to make the residence. And it's also 
interesting because I think, you know, I've reflected upon the last couple of Dapim where sort of the concept of a Reuben sort of took on more meat for it or made sort of more sense. It sort of had a moral piece to it, right, of creating sort of friendship, a partnership between people. Um, here it feels very, especially this opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, seems a little bit more back to sort of the, the legal uh, loopholes here. Um, so that's my interpretation of this Mishnah, that again, it's like another chipping away, but Rabbi Mayer, you know, sort of pushes back on that. And he's like, no, if you didn't establish it, you didn't establish it. That's the whole point. It actually has to end up being established. So I always love this example of the camel driver and the donkey driver, because I feel like that's so much of what's going on here, right? The, the pushing and pulling in the different directions. And so I, I always appreciate when they come back to, you know, when the Gemara brings them back up as the example of what's going on. And I think that it's kind of a, an important, I don't know, like, um, I don't know what the right expression is, a, a lightning bolt or something for us to pay attention to, that there is a tension here in the nature of this, of these um, halachot. Right. And, um, and again, and if you look up that phrase, it's specific to Eruvin. I, I, I looked it up once. It's really not found in any other halachic category. Um, I want to jump to something on the bottom of the dap here, just this one little story that they have to illustrate this. Rav Yehuda bar Ishtata Atele Kalkala so Rav Yehuda Bar Ishtata wanted to bring a bat or once brought a basket of fruit to Rav Natan uh, uh, Bar Ushia, who was in a, another town that apparently was very, was at least 4,000 Amot away, right? Kehave Azil, when he was leaving, right? And this happened on Erev Shabbat, right? Shavke Raga, right? So Rav Natan said to him, you know, he let him walk one step. And then he said to Rabbi Yehuda Barishata, he said, you should just stay here. So in other words, he let him start on his journey. So it was clear that he was going to set out on the way that he wanted to do. But then he's like, it's Arab Shabbat. You should just, you know, stay. You don't need to walk the whole way, right? And so what happened? Um, no, so he says, Amar uh, right? Like, stay here. Make this your home. And so the next morning, Rabbi Yehuda Barishata he actually got up and what did he do? He set out because the idea is that he gave his intention by sort of taking that first initial step. Rav Natan made sure that he gave his intention and then he went on his way, right? And then the Gemara comments here, Kaman Rav Yosef, Aliba de Rav Yosef Bar Yehuda, right? So then they want to say, well, who was Rav Natan Bar Oshia following? And it says, this is actually the opinion of Rav Yosef, who everybody says, you know, says you have to at least go out on your way. You don't have to complete it, but you have to start off. And with the opinion of Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda, who said that he doesn't actually have to declare it, right? He didn't have to say anything verbal. He could make his residence uh, just through action. So I thought this, you know, story was also, again, an interesting illustration of my point I was saying before of sort of this degradation or, or showing how little was actually needed to make this Erevei Tuchumim, because all that was required here was one step. That's all he had to do. That's literally the Gemara says. He just had to make one step, and then it was good enough to say that it was a residence. So I found this fascinating, this whole discussion of not just intent, but de demonstration of intent. And I was trying to think, you know, there's so many times where intent matters. And even though we also say mitzvot, meaning I, I, there are certainly many mitzvot that you fulfill whether or not you have intent to do so. And then there are other situations where intent matters, and we've been talking about that you know, from the very beginning, bracha, job is now, right? And so I feel like 
I feel like here is one of those cases where not only are we talking about intent mattering, but the but there actually has to be a demonstration of that. And and offhand, I'm I'm not able to come up with so many cases where there's a need for that kind of you know physical or or external presentation of of the actual intent, um, which I found to be interesting. Um, maybe it's because there's a delay of overnight, right? Like so, it's essentially he really is getting going on his journey, even though. He's really not. So I don't know. I, I I hear what you're saying also in terms of the degradation here or, or diminution, I would say. Yeah, of, that's a better word. Um, you, you, you're you the wordsmith. Diminution. Dim, I can't even say it. That's why I didn't say it the first time. <laughs> diminishment. That, diminishment. Yes, that, that's exactly what. Right. It's like diminishing how, you know, what steps need to be taken. All right. I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah. Misha gets a chutzla tuchum afilu amachat. So now the question is, okay, let's say, you know, someone, so this is a question If let's say you, you uh, purposefully somehow ended up outside of the Tukhum, right? Even by one ama, right? And again, we had learned previously that there was a whole variety of mitzvot or reasons why you could leave the Tukhum, but obviously there's a case where that was not case. Um, even if it's only one ama, you're not allowed to go back in the tuchum, right? You're basically just stuck where you're supposed to be. Rabbi Eliezer says no. He does get like a wiggle room of like two to, of two amot, right? But if he gets to three, then he's not actually allowed uh, to re-enter. Um, and so here, it's interesting to see it's almost like the opposite, right? Whereas that first mission is saying like, and even illustrates it with a story by saying one step can give you residence. Here, it's almost making the point the other way, which is like, once you've left the Tukhum, even one ama, there's no leeway for you, right? There's no wiggle room. You left it, you left it. You're not going to be allowed to return to it. Um, so the contrast of these two missions together uh, seem very well placed to me. And also, I mean, what I found here interesting was particularly the Gemara on this Mishnah, where the discussion of how do you get to those two amot, like this machloket over... Yes or no, right? Can you do you get that extra wiggle room or no? Is based on a verse, right? The question of raglacha. This the question is um um It's a pasuk in it's a verse in Yeshayahu Paragnon Chet, and it's the it's basically the long list that we talked about this in Masachat Shabbat. It's a long list of things that one cannot do on Shabbos that are prohibited Rabbanan or Divrei Kabbalah even, right? Because it's from the Navi, but it's not a Doraita level. But because it says Raglecha, then the question is, but Raglecha, is it written, um, it's called Malay or Chaser, right? Is it is it w- written with a, a Yud or not a Yud? And the verse is written without a Yud. And therefore, because of that, we can only say one Regel, which might get you only just, the, uh, right? This is the, the here, one second, I'm going to read it inside so I don't mess up the, Actual wording, right? Um, meaning it's written chaser, it's written without the yud, but we read it with the yud, which gets us, you know, this indication of one foot versus two feet, um, one ama versus two ama, two amot, right? In terms of in terms of stepping out of your boundaries here. Yeah, I. That's a good. Yes, that was an important piece of the Gemara to read. Thanks for sharing that. Um, okay. okay, so now I'm gonna yeah, sorry. move you're on. Right. To the... you're just gonna say you're gonna move on now to the third, the third Mishnah. So the so and the fact is, and it's it's kind of remarkable. This one daf has four Mishnayot. The last one really belongs to the new parak. So we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. 
but we but meaning we're aware that there's yet a fourth mission on this stuff. Here's the third Mishnah. And I I just love its placement. And so somebody is traveling and and it gets dark while that person is traveling. And he's outside of the Shabbat Tchum for the town that he's heading to. And he's only one Ama away from the town. He cannot go in to the town according to the Tanakam of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Omer, even if he were 15 amot away from the entrance of the town, he could still go in. Why? Because he says that when they're when they're determining the city limits and they're talking about 15 amot, right? To, for the for the demarcation of exactly how far is it going to be to get to the city, and they mark off the city, the Shabbat limit, right? They do it with generosity. They do it within generosity. It's like they add in a siag, they add in the fence, like the same way, but the same way that we have 18 minutes for, for candlelighting, right? And then sometimes you'll see a, a calendar that not only does it have 18 minutes, it gives you, you know, it, it calls it candlelighting time even more than 18 minutes so that if you mess up, you really don't really mess up. So the idea here is that Rabbi Shimon says that these surveys are surveyors who are demarcating how where the the trauma is would kind of build in a little bit of wiggle room to begin with because people would make an, an error so then somebody who's in need of that wiggle room can avail themselves of it and still come into the city um you know as as even though it's already dark as long as they've reached that general 15 you know the approximate outskirts of the city and then they're good to come in and the gemara here so this mishnah is the very end of the parak and the Gemara on this Mishnah, the entirety of the Gemara on this Mishnah is four words, and which is why I say I love this placement because I have never seen this before. Tana mipnei to'e hamida. So the Gemara's explanation here is very specific. It's it's a claim about there's a brayta right that says because of those who make a mistake who err in their measurements, meaning the the surveyors are concerned that they might have made a mistake in the measurements, and that is why they are stringent, right? That they, they don't want, what if they goofed? So therefore, they're going to be more machmir and make, you know, and put the city limits closer than they really are so that they haven't, you know, set anybody up to make an error. And then that, but then somebody who really needs that wiggle room can know that the surveyors are stringent and therefore they in fact have that wiggle room to come into the city, uh, which is a slightly different emphasis than how I read the Mishnah without the Gemara. So this Gemara is, you know, very valuable for interpreting this Mishnah. And yet it's all done within four words, which I find to be, again, remarkable. Yeah, and I, now, I, Hadran, I've never seen that also. So I thought that was great. Here we are at the end of the parak, um, and we begin parak uh, Hamishi, the fifth parak tomorrow. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP, and especially the shortest Gemara on a Mishnah that we've ever seen on our Talking Talmud <laughs> Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.